The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, so now that was a little bit of an adjustment. Uh-oh, Turner. Oh, that was great. <laughs> oh, he cocked that back so far. That was just ridiculous. Who did he get on that? That was Tristan. Oh, man. I could see that again for the for the rest of the playoffs. Wow. That is the dunk of the playoffs so far. He just destroyed him. Thursday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Big headliner for this one. We'll get to this one first. The Cavaliers, 119-114 victors over the Pacers, outscoring the Pacers 70-40 to in the second half to overcome a 25-point halftime deficit. Their 26-point overall comeback, equaling the largest ever in NBA playoff history. Uh, I think I read that. And this is just, uh, and of course we'll get to the other stuff as well. Grizzlies taking care of the Spurs, 105-90 in a game that wasn't that close and then the raptors really just shocking or i'm sorry the bucks really shocking the raptors the raptors did shock us with by playing so poorly but 104 77 so uh some big blowouts here uh, and i think we got to start though with this cleveland game we're sponsored by hubble contacts go to hubblecontacts.com get two free weeks free and then a dollar a day for a fresh pair of contact lenses every day thereafter and let's go, Danny. I mean, we did the Twitter NBA show for this Indiana Cleveland game, and what a show it was by LeBron James and a bunch of dudes who can shoot in the second half. Yeah, I mean, we saw really close to a best case scenario for Indiana in that first half. And then in the second half, it was 70 to 40 for the Cavs overall. LeBron James had 28 himself, not including his seven assists. And there are a lot of amazing things we could talk about with this, but one of them that stood out to me was Cleveland did not turn turn the ball over at all in the second half. Yeah, that, that was completely insane. LeBron played all 24 minutes in the second half, which is also completely insane and actually could have scored more because if he hadn't gotten six of 12 from the free throw line, he had seven assists, was nine of 16 from the field, four of eight from three. Nobody else took more than five shots and Kyrie Irving was uh, among them. He was one of five, only played 743. And then the rest of the way, Ty Lue went with LeBron and basically a bunch of guys who could shoot. Darren Williams, Kyle Korver, Channing Fry were out there basically the entire time. They brought back J.R. Smith for a little bit of that time as well. Well, but I think we need a clarification. Yeah. I think we need a clarification. It's guys who could shoot and execute on defense. I think that's a big part of the reason why Kyrie was out and, and Love was out was not that they are bad shooters, but because they do other things which were not necessarily conducive to the comeback. Yeah, and they really seem to go to a defensive strategy change in the second. And that combined with the fact that they finally realized that there are some guys at the Pacers who can't shoot that they didn't have to guard. But in the first half, when the Pacers were outstanding and the Cavs' defense was absolutely atrocious, and the Pacers, of course, you know, shot way better on threes than you would expect in uh, that first half. But there were the new plan for the Cavs was that they were going to on every George pin down, which kind of focus is kind of the same action as a side pick and roll. They were just going to blitz that, and the Pacers took full advantage. Uh, they were hitting guys at the free throw line. They were hitting weak side shooters. They were just able to attack in that four on three situation as Cleveland was bringing another guy over to help on the guy who would roll after setting the pin down. And it was very, very effective. And the Cavs didn't have anything at the rim. The Pacers were just getting penetration left and right. And in that first half, Indiana scored 74 points on 50 possessions as compared to 49 on 49 for Cleveland. And then, of course, things completely shifted in the second, in part because of what you mentioned 
mentioned, they just had a scheme. They switched more, and then they executed in terms of not guarding guys. And that's what what kind of went on. So there were people. Part of the fun of doing the Twitter NBA show is that there are people saying, "Oh, you know, it's the it's the Pacers missing shots," and certainly that was part of it. I mean, Paul George went four of fifteen in that second half. I'll talk a little bit about his distribution later, but a lot of their misses were by guys who aren't good shooters. Lance Stevenson one for four from three. Miles Turner zero for three. Monte Ellis only took two shots, missed his only three. That's not a big surprise. You know, CJ Miles going one for four, sure, that that's a little bit of a surprise. But outside of that, they were doing it. And one of the other big takeaways from the Pacers offense was a part that was a little bit fluky. They were only two of 13 in the restricted area, despite Cleveland not really playing rim protectors out there very much. Yeah, Thompson, when he was in there, was good. Tristan Thompson and LeBron made some plays as well. But you're right, they really missed a lot of shots. And Paul George, for all of his brilliance, one thing that he is not great at is getting to the rim and finishing or drawing help and and assisting he did have nine assists and in this game but down the end he was not really effective as a passer uh hit some shots to be sure but you know a lot of it was just kind of iso one-on-one stuff and you know you can't make a living that way when you're giving up 70 points to the other team because i mean i thought really outside of lebron the key player in the second half for me was channing fry on the pacers offensively or i'm sorry on the Cavs offensively absolutely partially because miles turner had been really good in the first half defensively it was some of the best basketball i'd seen from him he was disruptive on drives he was blocking shots and just being active on the interior and he can't do that when Channing Fry is their only big man in the game because there there wasn't a place to stick him and so they were getting into that and with Paul George you talked about the idea of finishing and getting into the lane those are both important parts of it because for him took 15 shots from the field just in the second half and only two of those 15 shots were in the restricted area and he missed both by comparison he was one for seven on above the break threes which he can make you know this isn't a circumstance where it's like oh that's outside of his wheelhouse but it's not the foundation for a reliable offense especially when you consider the variance involved yeah and george he finished the game 10 out of 28 did get to the foul line for 11 of 11 and and was effective on the glass with uh 15 rebounds and those nine assists that we mentioned but he probably took six or seven really bad shots in this game especially that were a little early in the clock but as it got down the end finally this pacers team just didn't have anything to do and with cleveland switching everything especially switching and helping off of guys who can't shoot is much more effective when you're trying to attack from one side of the floor because then you can overload everyone over there and it's a pretty long pass to get it to the other side late finally mcmillan went to high pick and roll paul george which is not something that he normally does involving fry and that might have worked a little bit better because they didn't want to switch fry onto paul george but because they could load up so much help and then you've got ellis lance stevenson who they just weren't guarding at all i mean there's so many possessions where george would be trying to go to work or or jeff teague and whoever was guarding ellis or stevenson was you know probably like three quarters of the way in the gap between stevenson and whoever the ball handler was and they just weren't able to take advantage of that miles turner also he was 0 for 7 in the second half continuing what had been you know a nightmare shooting performance from him other than the first half uh and 0 for 3 on threes just looked to be rushing his shot a little bit especially and so that was uh they just couldn't get anything going offensively and i do think that for this Cavs team doing a lot of switching is just better for them because it's just harder to screw up and there's more individual accountability and especially against a team like the Pacers there's no reason to kind of gift the Pacers a double team when instead you can force them to go one-on-one and then just bring help uh, because they don't have the shooting really to punish that. And they don't even really have the guys who are great attacking switches either. I mean, George is good, maybe in the right matchup, but you know he's not going to just blow by guys for a dunk very often, right? Like he's going to just rise up for a mid-ranger and he could get hot on those, but you know, you're not going to really force help and get like the really juicy stuff there. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, you mentioned that Turner fry matchup and i mean turner looked like in the second half a dog that two people are throwing a ball back and, and forth between each other in the backyard like he stuck to fry a bunch of times and lebron just went down the lane for two dunks in a row then he went out to try and help on lebron hoping that someone could rotate to fry didn't work fry hit threes or they would rotate it to somebody else and they would hit a three kyle corver in the second half was outstanding and he he went two of two for three in the second half 
Fry, he was two of three. J.R. Smith was two of three as well. And then LeBron went four of eight when they were forcing him into some tough ISO threes. He was making those too. There was just, there was no answer for the Pacers. And not a surprise, there wouldn't be an answer for most defenses unless you can just switch and have guys who can guard LeBron adequately. And I think that Golden State is probably the only one of those. You're not going to be able to stop this this team. But to me, the Pacers really lost this on offense in the second half, much more than on defense. Sure, because considering the lead they had, you could seed a lot of offensive ground and still be in comfortable position if you, if they worked and got good shots. The Pacers shot 25.5% from the field in that, sec, in that entire second half. And this Cavs defense is not exactly potent. I mean, even when they were switching and they were everything else, but it pointed to something that you and I have talked about at length in terms of the Pacers, but in a new context of the idea of that they focus too much. Larry Bird is focused too much on these high volume, moderate to low efficiency scores. But the second part of that was was what Cleveland exploited, which is the idea that they provide so little value when they don't have the ball in their hands. And there weren't really lineups that Nate McMillan could have gone to to really maximize that. He could have done better than he did, but not a whole heck of a lot because they just don't have that many other guys. It's not like Glenn Robinson III is going to solve those problems. Yeah, I mean, maybe the only thing that they could have tried was young at center. That's the only thing that they, and they did that very briefly in the first. But I mean, some of these shooting lines, they are six of 24 from three. And, you know, to go two of 13, it was just, I mean, a lot of it was just that they didn't make the shots that they had to. I mean, it wasn't like sure. it was good execution from Cleveland, but I mean, they had Darren Williams, Kyle Korver, and Channing Fry out there most of the way. Uh, Iman Shumpert was outstanding in that second half again on Paul George. Uh, you know, I thought it was a mistake to not go to him as much as they did in the first half when they were getting killed on defense but and you should be i don't care what your defensive strategy is you should be able to beat those guys <laughs> you know the, and that just shows some of the middling offensive talent that there is a, on this pacers team to just and i think really even the lack of shooting right because yeah they could maybe beat their guy but then there was someone like right in the gap and then if they threw it to that guy they went six out of 24 on three pointers in the second half i know we we talked about it at the beginning but i feel like we should spend a little bit more time on LeBron in that second half. I mean, not only playing all 24 minutes, but he was the orchestrator of so much of what went well because his just insane combination of scoring ability himself and judgment and passing ability opened up a lot of that, the impossible choices with Channing Fry and also just hitting the right guy in enough time for him to get the shot off. There were a couple of just crazy passes to Kyle Korver that most other guys can't make, and he makes it so that you don't need a guy like Kyrie Irving in those circumstances that you can play somebody like Darren Williams. Darren was certainly fine. I'm not using that as a criticism or a cudgel to beat him with, but LeBron made it all possible. Yeah, he did. And the Pacers didn't have the ability to switch at all. So a lot of time it was, you know, 4-1 pick and roll uh, involving Darren Williams, who uh, has taken to that role extremely well. And you know they never uh, they weren't able to just get the ball out of LeBron's hands either and when they did uh those guys were great just pinging the ball around the perimeter so and forgive us sometimes I feel like we just don't talk enough about how much stars do especially LeBron just because and it's almost like it's not that we don't appreciate how good he is and we both think he's the best player in the game we said as much when we did our top 10 players but we just there's nothing new to say about LeBron you know we've been saying all the same stuff about what he's good at for so long that I just feel like it's not you know certainly give him credit and say that he was the engine behind everything but it's not new to say that you know we try to actually give you some insight here that you might not get other places and that's fair saying that LeBron you know plus 30 and uh 28 points playing all 24 minutes in the second half is awesome i mean you know I, I, there's not that much to, to say about that uh he did have probably i thought his uh his best open court dunk in a while that like buggy whip dunk i think he was inspired by miles turner just completely eviscerating tristan thompson in that first half yeah this game had two of the best dunks in the entire playoff so far and there was another strong strong play as well in in one of the other games i mean it's it is a, a nice little sequence even in this this game was was also the most interesting of the night and where I, I was kind of sitting there going how demoralizing this must be for the Pacers not only the whole having a lead and blowing it but they've lost games in a couple of different ways now I mean they played that first half about as well as they could have and then they failed offensively and failed defensively at the same time and it's hard to come back from that not that they're going to come back from a 3-0 deficit anyway. 
yeah, that's clear. And, you know, coming back from it now is going to be something that's uh, could be difficult because this tomorrow uh, or whenever it is, Sunday, might be the last time we see Paul Georgia in a Pacers uniform. We got to talk actually about that whole draft, uh, you know, all NBA names coming out thing as well. That that's uh, That'll be interesting we'll, that we'll have to look into. So, But I, I thought the other well, thing should we, we should we, just, now, yeah. now that we teased it on this, since there are a fair number of people who listen to this and not dunk, not the, the Twitter NBA show, the basic thing, we were just kind of riffing on the idea of all NBA and Paul George and trading him. And in the process of that, realized that it has been that the scheduling is that the all the NBA award show is actually after the NBA draft, which means that Paul George, assuming that they really keep the information hermetically sealed or whatever, that the Pacers will not know if Paul George is eligible for the designated veteran extension until after the draft, which if they were going to trade him would be a centerpiece and a lot of the good offers for him. Yeah, and for for those who don't remember, since we are in a new CBA, it's worth reiterating the designated veteran extension. If you make All NBA the year before, or two of the preceding three years, or Defensive Player of the Year or MVP, uh, then you are eligible from the team that drafted you, or a team that you have been on uh, since your rookie contract. If you're traded during your rookie contract, for the 35% max tier instead of 30 percent if you have eight or nine years of experience which george in fact would and so if he makes an all-nba team this year he'll be eligible for a five-year over 200 million dollar extension from the pacers and he can get that a year early before he would reach free agency in the summer of 2018 or if he doesn't get that then he could potentially make it by making all nba next year and then re-signing with the pacers but that's going to be cutting it pretty close if he has indicated he doesn't want to stay without that extension and they can't really give him any kind of a market extension unless he qualifies for this so i think that we'll see i'll dig into this idea of whether you know they'll know before the draft because that's obviously when they're going to want to trade you know if they're going to trade him for draft picks or want to use those draft picks to get their guys uh and it really would be a big problem for them compounding just this ridiculous issue of the media deciding how much guys can get paid to begin with you know we said this a million times how about you just make anybody eligible for the 35 percent max criteria once they come off of their rookie contracts and then the general manager of the team and the player's agent who are most qualified much more qualified than you know some media member in orlando or not to pick on like a josh robbins or something but you know someone who sees paul george three times a year and you know is focused on their individual team to decide who should actually be getting paid and therefore who gets to stay somewhere and who leaves it's really is a ridiculous system that they've arrived at here um last point i think uh, on this game uh, before we move on did uh, the Cavs defense their communication is so bad uh in that if you go back and watch that first half on maybe like 50 percent of possessions you'll see guys looking at one another with their palms up not knowing what they're doing they just don't have that defensive culture and and so if they just switch everything, it just becomes so much easier for them. Uh, and then, hey, just switch and, and we'll just be smart and help off the guy. It's a lot easier to just remember, oh, yeah, we can help off of this guy. Uh, and, the, you know, the Pacers are not running incredible stuff here to get guys open. They, they don't know how to deal with switching, you know, the way a team like the Warriors does where, okay, you screen your own man on a guy coming off a screen or you slip the screen and cut to the basket when they're about to switch and don't make contact, that kind of thing. So the Pacers were just completely powerless against that strategy in the second half. And it's clearly the Cavs are at their best when they go to that as opposed to any other strategy in which they have to actually communicate and know what they're supposed to be doing. Switching is probably the easiest strategy there is to execute. Uh, Even if they don't necessarily have great one-on-one defensive personnel, uh, the Pacers certainly uh, were not equipped to exploit that. And it's entirely possible, depending on who they get in the second round, and that's still an open question considering what happened today. It's entirely possible that the next team they play might not be well particularly well suited to handling that either probably better suited but not necessarily well suited what do you make of the fact that love and Kyrie didn't play like the last you know 15 minutes of the game or whatever it was as they made their run it didn't make much of a difference to me I understood why they were going to do it but the challenge in all of these circumstances is that it matters to the individual player you know if that makes Kevin Love sulk if that makes Kyrie disappointed because he thinks you know he's an all-star and he thinks of himself that way 
play, then maybe it causes problems in the future. And it is a little bit concerning to see a lineup without those two be their best lineup for that given circumstance. But I will say that the Pacers are a very different team than most of most of the opponents just because of their specific limitations and the execution. And actually, I wanted to make one other small point, which you can ignore or just bring up. But how lucky are the Cavs that Dallas felt that Dallas fell off at the start of this year? Because if Dallas is competing for a playoff spot, Darren Williams never gets bought out and they they wouldn't resolve that circumstance in the same way. You know, they still could have won this game with Kyrie Irving in Darren's role, but they wouldn't have had a backup point guard nearly as good as Darren Williams. I mean, my big takeaway is just that Kyrie really sucks on defense. And I mean, what is his defensive rating for this series right now? Drum roll, please. 122 point 122.5 oh god and how are they with him off the floor that might be a little bit harder to get but if we use no, I, I, Darren, got it, I got it okay got He's, it uh off the with Kyrie Irving off the floor their defensive rating in the 43 minutes he has not played is 97.9 and remember that generally speaking, their defensive personnel when Kyrie's off the floor is not that good because usually that would be Channing Fry at center. And it's only 14 minutes, but we mentioned a big a big part of this series and indeed a big part of the first half was that you would think, oh, the Pacers, what are they going to do without Paul George? They always get killed without him. And the Cavs have Kyrie, they have Kevin Love, like they should really look at all that star power they have. They should really kill when uh, you know the one Pacers star is out of the game. But in fact, it was just the opposite. And LeBron James, when he was out of the game in the first half, they got killed. And he had to play all 24 minutes in the second half. And in the 14 minutes that LeBron James has been on the bench in this series, the Cavaliers are negative 12, meaning they've given up 48 points in those 14 minutes. That's bad. So where do we go from here? I mean, is it is it basically just that this is an aberration? Or are we going to see more of these lineups, you know, in the second round and I I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw it in game four or if there is a game five in game five but after this series I'm sure they're going to try it but I'm not sure or confident that it'll work yeah because teams with better more offensive firepower and more spacing than this Pacers team will just be able to kill those lineups defensively and they're going to need teams that can switch I mean I think even the Raptors if they somehow get out of this morass or or the Bucks for that matter will be able to switch much better uh, defensively Defensively, and so they'll need more shot creation on the floor. Irving to just go do his thing one on one. At times, love to attack switches in the post. So they're going to need those guys to reach their full potential. And it did take them making you know a crap load of three pointers in this game. They're twenty one out of forty four in total, and twelve out of twenty three in the second half. Uh, but I mean, certainly to start second and fourth quarters, they usually go with this LeBron plus shooting lineup. And and the shot chart in the second half shows what that unit does. They took twelve shots in the restricted area only five shots five twos outside the restricted area and then six of eight on threes from the left corner two of two on threes from the right corner so uh, they weren't even forcing above the breakthroughs they're just opening up the absolute best shots wide open corner threes and also i mean you could say too that the pacers could have rotated a lot better like usually it was kind of one pass to the corner you, you know if turner or someone was helping off of fry uh or corver maybe someone can come down from the top and and help out there especially if there's a drive and you know you're kind of supposed to sink to the level of the ball a little bit um so they could have done a better job but i mean overall that lineup really was just unguardable unless you can just prevent lebron from getting penetration and then even when they did that he went four of eight on three pointers most of which are off the dribble like tough shots yeah they they really were and his confidence in that shot is still remarkable considering where his career has gone yeah and he was he was really enjoying himself out there too after some of those threes which i would be too i mean we thought that his jump shot basically was dead and then he brought it back in that series against the Warriors last year and he shot 37% on threes a very solid percentage and of course we know that his attempts are very difficult uh all right anything else you want to say on this before we move on to uh these other two games no let's do it well before after net <laughs> precisely contact lenses are something that have always cost a lot and maybe on the surface it would seem that they should you know they go into your eyes you need a prescription for them but it's just a piece of plastic like why does it need to cost so much and the answer is it doesn't need to cost so much it's expensive because four companies control 97 percent of the market hubble contacts sells directly to you so you're not giving up some of the markup to your optometrist you're not giving up some of the markup to the retailer and if you don't have a prescription they can even send you to an optometrist as well you don't have to overpay anymore you don't have to overwear 
care anymore either just to try and save money you put contacts that are not fresh hubble you can get fresh new contacts every single day for thirty dollars a month that's one dollar a day and if you you can try it for free too so you can get two weeks for free to start so there's no reason not to do that it's also an incredibly easy experience just putting in your prescription it took me i did it for my girlfriend and it took me like literally 90 seconds to get these things ordered it was, it was pretty impressive so great deal way cheaper even if you didn't have daily lenses these are much more comfortable and you can save money as well so once again fresh pair of lenses every single day for $30 a month $1 a day at hubblecontacts.com that's hubblecontacts.com get 2020 vision for half the price h-u-b-b-l-e contacts Dot com. Well, this was a dark day in Raptors history, wasn't it? Uh, but And it's odd that I want to start this here because the Bucks deserve a ton of credit. They have thoroughly whipped the Toronto Raptors in this series. Probably should have won game two if you're just looking at the quality of shots that they both got down the stretch in game two. That said, the Raptors are only down 2-1. If they just win in the next game, game four, they're right back in the driver's seat in this series. Now you can cast doubt on their ability to do that. But what I've always said is, you know, going up 2-1 is great if you're the road team. But if you're plan on winning you damn well better go up through one because if you're tied 2-2 the home team then again becomes a massive favorite in the series with only three games left and two of them at home and also potentially in theory being the better team although that has not held true so far i think one of the important things with this game and something that that really did strike me in that first half when milwaukee just went out to this massive lead was it felt like the the example of a best case scenario and a worst case scenario because milwaukee was making they got a lot of shots that were that were good and they probably would have had a lead even if it, even if the shots had fallen and, and missed based on their normal averages but they also were getting a lot of tougher shots to fall like from three and then toronto milwaukee was doing a good job snuffing out some of their some of their better looks some of their best stuff but they were also making what looked to me like uncharacteristic mistakes so i'm not saying that you know milwaukee should have lost this game or anything ludicrous like that but those sorts of things you kind of want to take with with a heavy grain of salt just because you don't expect those sorts of things to continue yeah i agree with you there i mean i think the bucks offensive performance in this one was not something that i look at is i mean they've scored well in the series don't get me wrong but you know 12 out of 23 on three pointers chris middleton Giannis hit two two of two on threes chris middleton was hitting some really tough long twos del vadova was four out of five two of two on threes so i'm not gonna say that mike beasley 13 points on nine shots three of three on three pointers he played really uh for the first time since game one in this series as they uh benched Toledovich. so all that i think that that's not something that's going to sustain i don't see them shooting it as well because i didn't think they definitely got some layups and Greg Monroe was beasting inside and Valanchunas was absolutely awful. But I think this Raptors team has a decent chance of defending the Bucks with their best lineup. The problem is that for the second time in three games, the Raptors just had absolutely no chance to score against this Bucks defense. And I thought there was a nice adjustment now coming back from the Bucks. We talked about how the Raptors were shorting the pick and roll, right? They were trying to get a quick pass out of the Bucks traps and then they were able to find the roll man or get the Bucks scrambling uh, because there was a guy who wasn't really being guarded so the Bucks instead of dialing down the pressure they actually doubled down and what they did was they brought another guy over to the guy who would be shorting and because the Raptors were running a lot of stuff on the side again that made it a lot more difficult I think the Warriors are another team that kind of has this problem when teams try to it's more with their isos when teams switch but they have guys trying to iso from the wing and there's just isn't enough room out there you got to get to the middle and i think more high pick and roll would really help make them trap in the middle of the floor and now you have the option of throwing it to either side you can't really be as aggressive whereas if it's on the side now you can just bring everyone over to that side take away some of the passes and the bucks defense was absolutely fantastic uh, early on in this one and the reps just had nothing going I mean, what did their shooting look like because you know obviously DeRozan was 0 for 8 failed to score he is 88 from the foul line Lowry uh, was ineffective um like, were they able to even get good shots or were they missing them or what was the story they weren't able to get that many good shots they they really did struggle in some of those fundamental ways in terms of building a successful offense but also you know I wouldn't expect them to shoot 6 for 22 from 3 overall yeah well, we the, said that after they shot 6 23 in, in the first game yeah right? it's true and and 
a stat that Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated had, which was impressive to me, is that this was the first time that DeMar DeRozan has not made a shot from the field since, I think it was January of 2015, in a game that was also against the Bucks. The big problem for Toronto, 16 out of 35 shooting at the rim, which was absolutely terrible. One of the things we wanted to look at was the Bucks shooting at the rim. They shot similarly poorly in game two. And this time around, they were much better, 18 out of 29. But I mean, to get 35 shots at the rim, that's much more than the league-leading team would get. And to just miss a bunch of them. I mean, Valanchunas, as I mentioned, missed a bunch of easy ones. Lowry, he is just cannot finish at the rim to save his life. I mean, there are a couple of plays in game two where he blew by someone and then was just trying to like jump back into someone who was trailing behind him and draw the foul. Like him just going straight up with a layup at, at this point and, and trying to just score at the rim. He doesn't do that anymore. Um, and that's a major limitation on his game especially if he's not hitting the three at this point so uh, DeRozan obviously was not able to finish either and DeRozan was really the guy that these pick and roll traps killed because he is just they took the ball out of his hands every time here and the Bucks are also benefiting too we've been talking about this a lot lately the idea of not having weaknesses and other than Greg Monroe who has actually been really good uh, by taking the ball out of their hands uh, in the pick and roll um, the Bucks don't have anyone that you can just like go right at if you're a DeMar DeRozan and kind of ISO against. That's a really good point. And they they do have also stronger guys. So if it ends up being on a switch or a scramble situation, Malcolm Brogdon can hold his own against a lot of those players. I mean, it's not a primary assignment that you want, but yeah, starting Tony Snell, starting Chris Middleton, starting Giannis, all those guys can work in those circumstances. Yeah. And Tony Snell has come a long way in terms of his strength to not be to be able to hold up against DeRozan in a one-on-one situation and not just get knocked off so DeRozan can get to uh his mid-range jumper unless it I think the Bulls won that trade by the way what do you what do you think or I'm sorry the the Bucks won that trade judgment's still out No, uh, I, I actually wanted to turn to a single play that I that really did strike me. We got doing the doing the Twitter NBA show second screen. We got some questions about Thon Maker versus Miles Turner, which is very interesting because I think they have some similar strengths and weaknesses as realized pros whenever that happens. But Thon Maker had a it, I think it was in the middle of the first quarter had a play that you there. I could only think of one true center. You know, obviously Draymond can do this, but he's not a true center that could do it. And so basically, what happened is Thon was camped in the corner also. So weird thing for a center pump fakes drives the drives to the hole basically i think it was two or three dribbles and i think he made a nice pass to somebody who was cutting i believe it was and it's like that is not a play that a center can make and if thon can hold up defensively said center and i think he's done a nice job in this series he gives you a tactical element offensively which is exceedingly important as well yeah the passing impressive his intensity is so impressive too i mean just getting a guy who's seven feet tall and plays hard you know that's it an asset in and of itself and then uh, when you see his skill level and the fact that he has these quick feet you know he, he was quoted in a, an article with John Schumann today saying that you know in high school he would switch all the time and you know so he's used to doing that he's used to playing with quick feet and that of course is what attracted us to him in the draft process also time to uh, give our frequent dunked on punching bag Jason Kidd some credit here he absolutely pushed the right buttons today first of all he left he changed around when he was subbing out Giannis Antetokounmpo he left him in for the end of the first he usually takes him out around four minutes left six minutes left in the regular season and brings him back to start the second he left him in there he went with Mike Beasley who as we mentioned was fantastic especially early on uh Beasley provided a little more defensive energy even than Toledovich not that he's awesome at that but uh the Bucks crowd sounded like they were great too uh so he took Toledovich out of the rotation who was probably their worst player in the first two games especially defensively and you know we've been saying all year that that we thought Toledovich should be playing over Beasley but uh you know the way Toledovich got worked in the first two games I think it was a a good decision to get him out of there and see maybe what Beasley could do Uh, and he just was hitting it right with the lineups he went to Greg Monroe at the right time Monroe dominated Valanchunas uh, who was only three for nine, which was pretty ugly and, and uh, wasn't any good defensively. And the Bucks led it 48 to 19 at one point in this game. It was, I mean, it got to 24 to 10 and then it was 27 to 10. And then it just turned into an absolute massacre. And from the very beginning, I mean, they went up nine to two right away in this game. I think the closest it was after that was nine to six. The Raptors just never, ever showed up in this game, especially offensively. And this is now, I mean, they had 83 points this and remember this Raptors team they had 
the best offense of all time through like two months of this season and they got more shooting in, with a at center and it's just i mean it all goes back to the same thing like lowry and DeRozan game two they were a little better but i mean those guys just aren't good in the playoffs and, and for everyone who complained that we didn't have lowry high enough or, and more often it's DeRozan. uh i'm sorry man the guy like doesn't produce in the playoffs and i, I don't know whether that's uh, he's a guy who kills bad defense and good defense he really struggles to score against and today you know going oh for eight from the field is a pretty black mark in that ledger well guess what you see in the playoffs i mean it's it's easier to take advantage of mismatches against the 10 worst teams in the league if he could play if he could play those guys every time he'd be he'd have a really big advantage but something else that was striking to me about this so the first half i don't even know if you could call that the competitive portion of the game i don't even know what you'd say for this game it was the bucks scored 24 points in the paint and the raptors only scored 10 and both parts of that should be really troubling to toronto because you know some of it was transition or well technically they were credited with zero fast break points but we've talked about that before but they have a toronto has the personnel that they should be able to a get get points on the interior valanchunas as you said was was awful in a lot of this game catching the ball finishing he did have that semi-nice dunk on i think that was on thon maker after maker got his second foul and then they should be able to considering the size that they have now they should be able to mitigate a lot of that damage on the interior and they couldn't do either of those things in this game no they couldn't and you know I, I think you have to wonder now again what adjustments can they try i mean casey looked like kid playing some of his rotation roulette i mean once they got down early in the second quarter he decided he was going to bring out Corey joseph delon wright who actually played okay and Jakob purtle and play all those guys together and they got to get some more shooting on the floor you know we mentioned the six out of 22 norman powell played mostly in garbage time again he played well 12 points on eight shots i think it's time now to take Corey joseph who has not been effective in the series he was a uh, second worst on the team with negative 22 in this one i think they you uh, make him purely a backup point guard only when lowry is off the floor go with powell who is more dynamic attacking the basket bigger on the defensive end and also a better spot up shooter you know if you're going to play lowry there's no need to pay, play another point guard powell can operate a little bit in pick and roll as well uh you know Wright maybe should get more time you could say but uh because he has shown some aggressiveness and, and he's been able to play well but you know i'm, I'm not he's still a complete non-shooter and and i don't think that he can be a part of some of your best lineups again like they got to just get more shooting on the floor patrick patterson just didn't give them anything in this game uh tucker only played 14 minutes didn't even attempt a, a shot but a, a lot of these rule guys not playing that well just comes down to Lowry and DeRozan not being able to be enough of a threat that they're drawing the defense or they're just getting the ball out of their hands and then these other guys are, are unable to make a play so they got to come up with something fast though because obviously going down 3-1 is going to be a massive problem and they've gotten completely destroyed so far in this series well, and so we didn't even yeah go ahead a couple things one they need to start PJ Tucker I mean there isn't really an excuse at this point Damari Carroll has not been good you know this in the first half he only took two shots he didn't play particularly good defense so he try was good that. in game two Carroll was good in game yeah two, he was good I, in game I two too. I mean but but I mean uh, well the, I think they need I think they need to just I mean get out to a better start in this next game like they, they can't get down with this Bucks crowd like I think they I think they could just start uh you know Tucker at power forward you know and, that might be where I go and, and that's and where leave I was going. out yeah yeah that's and that's where I was going it's the idea of so you start PJ Tucker and you can play Carroll at the four if you really want to but but trying trying out Valanchunas not in that role especially because he hasn't done a particularly good job taking advantage of Thon Maker like you thought there was a competitive advantage possibility there and at moments there are you know he Valanchunas is capable of that I thought he was a little bit better in game two but they haven't been able to do consistently enough and Valanchunas is going to be a low usage guy whenever Lowry and DeRozan are on the court together and it's not like he's such a good intuitive passer or defender that you can use him in other ways so just use him in a different point in the game don't have him out there then when he's providing so little value yeah and Valanciunas again ineffective on the offensive glass you would hope that that'd be one way uh that he could really kill uh, Thonmaker oh but, but they weren't you know, but they weren't he, missing yeah. any shots so how could he get offensive rebounds <laughs> 
<laughs> well, especially all those missed shots in the paint too. I mean, that's just like, so uh, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to shoot that badly in the paint and they could take some solace at least that they got 35 shots in the paint. Now this Bucks team, I mean, Maker, when Giannis is out there, they've got a lot of length and they make it pretty difficult. But, you know, the Bucks only had four block shots in this game. You know, so, and one of those was a massive foul by Giannis on, on uh, Valanciunas that went uncalled. And the Raps did get 30 free throw attempts. They can feel okay about that. I mean, they just got to make some more threes and they got to make some more shots in the paint. Like, I, I, I don't think that they're, maybe their process isn't really that bad. Although you can make the argument that only 10 shots for Lowry and eight for DeRozan isn't nearly enough. Uh, that's for sure. And I do think too, you know, you mentioned they went with like a three point guard lineup with Wright and Joseph together and Lowry playing next to them and put the damn ball in Lowry's hands. I mean, the, the like running a bunch of pick and rolls with Joseph, uh, and then like, well, you know, Lowry would go five or six possessions without touching it. Especially non-shooting other point guards you know if, if it's other guys who can run the offense and then can be catch and shoot guys sure delon wright can't shoot so i mean he did make a three in the first half and and all that sort of stuff but generally speaking he's that's not what he's going to do Corey joseph is inconsistent he has his moments but try other things out especially when norman powell is actually a good basketball player and yeah i mean they have other options the raptors are one of the deepest teams in the league they have all these other players that are like fringy rotation guys maybe they're not all going to work but try it out anything else you wanted to say on this one but yes. before we we depart yeah I, raptors fans have been they've been very sad in my mentions and they were they were in the comments on periscope as well and well i don't you know i think we've seen some real structural problems with them against the bucks specifically i still think they have a reasonable shot in this series not only because of the idea you articulated with the importance of winning game four as a road team but also because they have they have an ability to make tough shots they have an ability they have a, a, a high defensive ceiling even if we haven't seen it that much in this series and so i feel like they don't have to put it together for that long but they do have to do so at the right times yeah i would expect this game four to be an absolute war for sure and maybe the raps are just gonna have to slow this down to a, a slog and win it on defense but uh i mean when Giannis and chris middleton are just completely outplaying lowry and DeRozan, you know i mean there's not much you can do so uh i mean it goes back to that as it has been and it's been reductive reasoning throughout these raptors playoff struggles these last couple of years and we know nothing can be easy for them too but yeah i mean they couldn't be right back in control of the series if they win the next game when do they play on sunday i believe it's saturday yep saturday at three eastern all right well we'll uh be fired up to do some twitter nba show for that one Let's get to San Antonio and Memphis now. Memphis was very fired up after the uh, take this, take that for data. Uh, you and I had a, a nice riff on the Twitter NBA show about whether you're a data guy or a data guy. I'm absolutely a data guy because, you know, it's not Lieutenant Commander Data on Star Trek The Next Generation. But nonetheless, uh, they were fired up. The crowd was fired up. And, and the biggest thing to take away from this, incredibly slow pace, only 40 possessions in the first half and 60 through the first three quarters and yet memphis was just completely unstoppable in this one and they had 31 points on 20 possessions in the third quarter as they really broke it open and 81 points on 61 possessions through the first three quarters so a 133 offensive rating and uh, you would have thought that the spurs could defend a little bit better what went wrong for them defensively i think it was a couple of different things at once there were they were giving up shots uh, they were i mean some of it was just guys like zach Ray off making plays that they don't always do he hit a couple of a couple of deep shots one three and i think one deep two relatively early on that helped kind of solidify their momentum and then they also let a lot of these support players for the grizzlies have relatively efficient games james ennis four of six from the field michael green four of seven from the field i don't recall him really the, the toughest shot i remember him making was that one over patty mills which was a really weird discombobulated look and memphis they, they were they weren't providing sorry san antonio wasn't providing as much resistance for memphis as they had at earlier points in the series except for the first quarter of game one i thought that san antonio's bigs sucked defensively uh d lee zero points 0 for three in 16 minutes he got totally abused by randolph randolph just way too strong for him uh the spurs did not do nearly as good of a job of helping out and at the rim and they did at least get a couple of role guys who were able to make some threes in this one you know wayne selden two out of four 
Ennis hit a couple, even Zebo hit one. They went nine out of 22 on threes. It's, the teams have actually shot very well on three pointers in this series, uh, but just, you know, not getting a ton of attempts. Spurs were 10 out of 24 in this one. But yeah, I mean, Zebo just was able to get right to the rim. And in the paint, he shot six out of eight. And uh, he uh, only two out of two from the foul line. Uh, again, I mean, uh, complain all they wanted, but after I think the third quarter, they'd only shot eleven free throws, and the Spurs were were much ahead of that. And then uh, they finally slowed down Kawhi Leonard a little bit too. He did have sixteen points in the first half, and then I think you know I don't know whether Pop really like messed with his rhythm or what, but they're only down four. The Grizz scored the first five points of the quarter, including on a wide open Marcus Gasol three from the top of the key, and then he called time out and went for the hockey subs and uh you know that didn't really work san antonio has one of the best second units in the league but they're still the second unit over a good first unit for a reason shock of shocks well and when you take out green aldridge and leonard and now you're going against that memphis starting unit especially now that they had zebo and they had james ennis in the starting lineup they brought uh selden off the bench instead and selden actually started in the second half which was that's right yeah over over vince carter um and, and so they really, you know, it wasn't like that unit got killed before he subbed his guys back in. But I think that really messed up, especially Kawhi's rhythm. And Kawhi only would take, you know, would score two more points in the game. They really did not get the ball to him very much. And meanwhile, for Memphis, Gasol was amazing. Eight out of 14 from the field. They got him out in space a little bit more. He really was able to attack his brother off the dribble. Uh, Mike Conley went off again, 24 points, eight of eight from the foul line. He actually got to the rim a little bit, uh, only had to take 13 shots to get that 24 points. And so it was just, it was very surprising to see this Memphis team score so many points against san antonio uh in a series where they really had not been able to score very effectively throughout most of it and so we did see finally some of the issues we expected from the spurs uh with you know not having a ton of spacing on the floor being an issue and then you know three of their four bigs and then deadman only played 10 minutes basically uh a lot of that in garbage time as well through three quarters he'd only played three minutes pop like subbed him out almost immediately uh so th- there wasn't uh there wasn't a ton going on in the front court and when uh memphis's front court whips their front court so badly that's when memphis can win games in this series especially when tony parker scores zero points that doesn't exactly help oh yeah that was the other thing too i mean oh tony parker is back david fisdale was like well he sure doesn't look to have declined to me uh yeah well i mean not only did parker score zero points but he was oh for four he wasn't even able to generate shots at all so yeah i mean guess what he, he's gonna be a liability in the playoffs especially against good teams like the nothing that happened in the first two games changed my opinion on that in the slightest i wanted to bring up my two favorite plays from this game beyond the glacial fast break which was glorious one was Marcus it wasn't a pick and roll because of the way they ran it but so Andrew Harrison set a screen for Marcus who was handling the ball Gasol rejected the screen then drove drove into the drove in the paint and shot a turnaround it was just awesome you don't see fives do that very often and then the other one was one that we were both shocked by when Wayne Selden got the ball in the corner drove the front and just had a, a really nice dunk on the Spurs you just see they're going I didn't know he had that in him yeah that was like the third just like nasty bug whip dunk and Selden does look good I mean if he's got that kind of bounce he's made a few corner threes in this series he can be a he could be a solid player and, and just to talk a little bit more about how Memphis did it offensively 13 to 20 shooting at the rim uh they had been horrible at the rim up until today uh as they physically complained about them not getting calls and all that spurs length that caused them problems you know zebo in particular was just much more aggressive around the rim and then you know they shot a further five of seven in the paint outside the restricted area good percentage on long twos and on three pointers they were solid as well going eight out of 18 during that period so the spurs really succeeded in taking absolutely nothing away during that time period and, and other than leonard you know uh memphis had the three best players on the floor in this game randolph gasol and conley did this what do you make, yeah go ahead sorry sorry did, so i mean it felt to me in many ways like this was it, from the spurs perspective like this was an aberration but their big man defense is a real concern moving forward even though other teams won't test them in the same way as memphis does they will need to perform at a higher level to beat any other team that they could face yeah i think that's right and also they just the 
Spurs got to get Kawhi Leonard some more shots in this one and, and Aldridge as well I mean Aldridge was five of eight uh also got to the foul line for 10 attempts although he missed uh four of them and, and Leonard of course was very efficient 18 points on his uh, 11 shot attempts it was just everyone else who really did, didn't show up for large portions of the game but this again as you mentioned was lost defensively and I think it really helped that uh you know guys like th- they weren't able to really hurt the Memphis bench nearly as badly like uh Harrison was plus two Jamichael Green was plus 17 he was playing mostly with bench units we mentioned Selden who didn't start the first half he was plus 11 so that can't happen either I mean when Conley's off the floor uh they really got to beat them up and they weren't able to do that in this one either so is there anything you would be doing differently as the, the Spurs other than just maybe trying to get Aldridge and, and Leonard some more shots you know beyond the stuff like oh don't start Tony Parker anymore which which is just never going to happen I was encouraged that they exhumed Jonathan Simmons and he looked good he was active kind of on both ends of the floor and I don't know exactly what his role is in this series just because the Spurs have so much perimeter talent but I think there are times when you can when you can deploy him and just use him to kind of mess up other things and don't pull your start don't pull your starters when Memphis's starters are on the floor even if you want to send a message yeah maybe up to zero in the series pop felt like you could do that and at least he he only kept them out for like two or three minutes but yeah and ended uh, up with that ended up yeah. bringing back basically everybody else before he brought back Tony Parker and so it ended up with this lineup that I think was Patty Mills Jonathan Simmons Kawhi LaMarcus Aldridge and Powell which is a pretty fun line uh yeah and Bertans as well you know he played the entire fourth quarter uh shot it okay there may i don't know if there's a place for him yet necessarily we always want to see leonard at the four you know that's never going to happen i'll stop banging my head against that desk but yeah i don't know i think it's just they got to get back to executing better defensively hope that zebo isn't quite as hot in the next game and i don't think he will be i mean he had under a 500 true shooting percentage for a reason but but you can make the argument that when he's playing more with some of their main units conley he doesn't have to just be the sole guy creating everything on these bench units that have no shooting around him he actually can get back to doing what he does best which is trying to get deep post-ups you know the defense more attention is drawn to Gasol at the elbow he can set him up deep in the post or you've got good shooting with Gasol now spaced out to three even if if he really wants to go to work and so against even Gasol who's too skinny for him and and Lee who's really too skinny for him and not tall enough either maybe he could you could make the argument that maybe he can eat now uh they had a lot of success of course in game two in the second half with him starting so since they've been starting him you know they actually have dominated the series uh as strange as that is to say and it's also worth noting too that san antonio has this history of starting off series looking like absolute world beaters and then kind of falling off a little bit as teams find stuff that works against them so i'm not ready yet to completely say oh the spurs are going to come out and handle their shit in game four uh, and even of course if the grizz win game four the spurs will be massive favorites in the series i'm not saying they're in danger but this could get a little bit more competitive than perhaps we thought and it getting more competitive is certainly good news for the teams on basically around them in the western conference because the more miles you put on an older team the the more likely it is that they will eventually succumb to it even as good as pop is about resting his guys yeah i mean i'll tell you what i'm certainly uh you know houston's looked a lot better than san antonio has so far i think we'll, we'll see what happens going forward in that one but that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening programming note twitter nba show we'll be back on saturday and sunday probably touch on just about all of those games at some point or another maybe game four of Cavs. well that's the abc game so we'll probably do that one of, of Cavs pacers and then uh dunked on will be back on sunday night when we'll uh really know a lot more about whether we're going to have long series or not in some of these we'll of course hit on all the action over the weekend that will be a massive dunked on i am sure on sunday night also thank you to our sponsor hubblecontacts.com h-u-b-b-l-e contacts.com they can get you a fresh pair of lenses every single day for 30 dollars a month and you can start off with a two-week free trial 15 pairs of lenses for free thanks so much we appreciate your support i keep saying that it's been a long week i need a day off and i'm going to take that commencing right now reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 